You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to Around the Lens episode 245. I'm your host, David J. Murphy, a freelance visual journalist based out of South Korea. We have got a packed show and panel on for tonight's episode. First, let me start with my regular co-hosts. Of course, I can't do this without Mr. Travis Keyes, a commercial photographer based out of New York and chairman of the APA New York. Hello, Travis. Hey, so I missed you the last couple of weeks. I was uh, up in Arcadia, uh, Maine, for checking it out and just kicking in a little nature, trying to get away from you know, everybody and everything, uh, which was nice. And then I had some shoots and stuff like that. But it's good to be back, and uh, and I'm psyched for the show. Great. Yeah, me too. Glad to have you back. How was your trip in terms of uh, were you able to relax and kind of recuperate? You know, it's, it's weird. You know, it's like having not really traveled and being so used to traveling abroad and shooting all over the world that that came kind of to a complete, well, did come to a complete halt in March for me. Yeah. Like, this was my first real trip out of New York uh, and uh, trying to get somewhere. And for me, I thought I was going to, like, escape and really kind of, de- you know, like, de-stress and, like, the travel was going to get make me feel back to normal and stuff like that. And it was anything sort of but like that. That You know, it was just seeing, like, wow, the rest of the world is exactly the same and the, the restaurants and everything, the people and, and uh, you know, people wearing masks, not wearing masks and the bizarreness of it. It actually, <laughs> I think, caused me more stress and made me, made me feel like, oh, I'm okay being at home because I'm not missing anything out there. It's just the same all over. Yeah. Uh, so getting back, you know, so it was good and bad at the same time. I think it actually helped me knowing that. Okay, good. Well, we're glad to have you back here. Uh, our other regular co-host joining us, of course, is Miss Evelyn Hoxstein, a freelance photojournalist based out of D.C. Evelyn, how are you? I am good. I've missed you guys, too, for the last couple of weeks. It's been busy. I got married, so that... Congrats, congrats, congrats. Uh, a week of so back to rest and fun. So I should say I Mrs. Evelyn Hoxstein. What'd you say? I should say Mrs. Evelyn Hoxstein. Oh yeah. Unless you said did you yeah. are you keeping your last name? I I'm I'm, I'm keeping my name, okay. yeah, for sure. Yeah, my wife I never did that. Thought of, so. you know, I'm not exactly young. You know, I'm not like in my twenties. I don't know if that changes anything, but I never really thought about changing my name and like now in life i can't even imagine doing that but it was fun i have to say the whole thing it was like super stressful planning it even because it was a you know covid wedding and it was only 14 people in our backyard but worrying about everybody's health and safety and social distancing but then it was really fun it was like even though it was small and not what i imagined it was i i there's something to be said for small weddings it's a really fun really nice yeah Yeah, it was beautiful well, that's great. I'm glad yeah. you were able to actually have that because I know it's it's like you hear people all the time canceling weddings and canceling plans oh. and stuff and whatever. But yeah, glad you're it able was to get canceled. So originally for June, then it was supposed to be September, the whole big wedding, and then we just said screw it. It's going to be 14 yeah. people total. So yeah. it was great. Well, congratulations to you <laughs> and a new house, new new marriage, all kinds of great stuff going on in your life. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, our guest joining us this week, making his sixth appearance on the show, Mr. Alex Tetrialt, a photographer for the Canadian Prime Minister's Office based out of Ottawa. Hello, Alex. And you're muted. Muted, obviously. Yes, classic. Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. How's everything over there? 
Not too bad. It's a bit of a, a wet morning, but uh, you know, everybody here has been busy apparently. Well, on the chat, but for me, it's been a bit quieter. Uh, mostly taking care of uh, the kids' homeschooling for now. Yeah. So, yeah, our kids actually got to go to school today in person for the first time. So, huzzah! There, we were getting a little bit, uh, a little bit tired of the virtual education, but you know, glad to be able to send them to in in class now. Yeah, so hopefully you'll be really able. To- Hopefully, we'll you know get your daughter back in there as well soon. Yeah, I hope so too. She's a bit lonely. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, our our other main awesome guest joining us again for his second time. Uh, he was uh, did an interview with me a few weeks ago. So so happy to have him on again to talk about uh, all the great things that are going on in the world of visual journalism. Uh, Mr. Seth Porges, the director and producer of Class Action Park. He is based out of New York. Seth, so great to have you back on. How are you doing? Good. Great to be here. How has everything been going in your world? I know you've been busy. I Yeah, yeah. I mean, each day just kind of bleeds into the next, so I think I'm busy. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> in our interview, you mentioned you were going to be working on like a series, like a documentary series, right? Has that started production? Uh still in pre-production i can't really talk about that too much okay. uh, but yeah yeah i'm working on something in pre-production right now we'll be you know rolling cameras soon ish uh i think covid is is really like a by the day by the week kind of thing like right. when, when you're when you're planning production right now yeah so uh another, yeah. another another question you may not be able to ask but i'm just going to ask this and i'm curious can you talk at all about the um response to class action park from like a numbers perspective i don't even know if you have access to that information or not but or a general general idea of how it was responded or received oh (laughs) i'll share you whatever i've got which is which is surprisingly little uh you know it it was uh, (laughs) apparently a big hit you know the first at least the first week it came out hbo max announced it was the number one movie on the platform wow which is really cool and i think they said a number three piece of content period after lovecraft country and john oliver so good company happy, to, yeah, happy right? to hang with those guys yeah. uh, don't have any numbers in terms of uh how many like hundreds of people actually watched it but it seems like that might have been a fair enough you know well, i so definitely was one of them cool. that watched it on that there first week so <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think what's really really been cool is seeing people watch it more than once um you know it's a it's a movie that was kind of started streaming and I think oftentimes those are viewed as somewhat disposable. You know, you move on to the next thing on your queue type of thing. But right. we've heard from so many people who watch it, like, lots. Like, I have a friend who is a, is a fireman in New York. And apparently they've just been re- keeping on a repeat on their firehouse, which uh, is a high <laughs> honor. So. That, that is awesome. an honor. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, it was a great documentary. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's on HBO Max right now. And, uh, yeah, if, if you've been there, it'll bring back memories. And if you were a child of the 80s, you'll just kind of get that kick out of seeing things, you know, from back in the day. Um, so, yeah, definitely awesome job. And congrats again on, on getting it out there and getting it, uh, you know, released and whatnot. So Thank that's, you. That's a great achievement. All right. Well, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight, so let's uh, not dilly-dally any longer and start getting into it. Uh, the first story I want to talk about is about sort of virtual worlds, all right? So I kind of – I think we've touched on this on the past, and I've, I've kind of explored the idea myself personally, but to have sort of a, a realistic or ultra-realistic recreation of sort of a real-world environment as used sort of as like a setting 
to practice your photography or even filmmaking, you know, there's a lot of different you know possibilities and capabilities out of it. I've I've kind of you know my head thought about it'd be neat to make a game, you know, like maybe in virtual reality where you have a scene, whether it be like a photo shoot or like maybe a you know an actual like you know protest or some sort of actual live scene where you have to move around physically in the space, compose your photos, and then you're judged and, and you know, graded and critiqued on your capabilities in, in sort of this virtual environment. So it's a way to kind of practice, you know, these sort of scenarios and whatnot. Uh, well, an engineer made an ultra-realistic setting, and he created these, you know, a lot of these are free on Steam if you want to try them out, and you can kind of move around. And I, I checked out some of the videos, and it's pretty neat how well they're created. Um, and so I'm going to throw it over to our Alex because I always like to throw it over to a guest for these first topics, and you're, you're you know, you're the photographer, more photographer-centric. Uh, what do you think of sort of – you know, these recreations of real world environments and, and what do you think of their capability to be used as potentially like a teaching tool? My, my first reaction is like, why, right? Like just get out of your, <laughs> get out of your house and, and, you know, practice on your own there. But, um, in the current context, I actually now it's flipped around. It's like, yeah, okay. Like if you can't get stuck in your apartment, you can't even get out and you need to practice or you want to practice. Why not? Right. Uh, but like at the same time, though, like it, it's a fixed environment. It's uh, like, you know, like I'm going to use the game, move in, practice my com- uh, composition, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there, there's nothing. There's no dynamic in it. There's no people. There's no yeah. animals flying through. Like so there, I, I could see it as a baseline tool. But at the same time, maybe I haven't thought about it enough to kind of see deeper like, like the game you're talking about earlier um so maybe that way um but like yeah in the current context sure why not i mean um you, you remember like one of your guests uh, matthew aaron callahan um former u.s marine photographer mm-hmm. um he does that like regularly with other games that he plays with he just like right. takes snapshots of it. it makes nice scenes sci-fi stuff whatever so like yeah, there's there's something in it. Just if only to practice composition. But I'm more of a people photographer person, so I don't know. Like, just throw me a model in there. I don't know. Yeah, no. I think if you're like practicing the landscape work, you know, then maybe yeah. that's the situation. If you can't leave your home for whatever reason, if you're quarantined or something like that. I could definitely see the, you know, the idea there. But no, I was thinking of more as like, again, like the seed of an idea to potentially propagate, you know, for a potential, you know, teaching tool. Um, you know, like uh, Evelyn, you, you do a lot of dynamic stuff, you know, the protests and whatnot. If there was sort of a simulated protest environment where you could go in and sort of practice your craft, or if you were like a college student or, you know, high school student, do you think there'd be any value to that? Or do you think you have to be out there in the actual environment doing the thing to get any sort of meaningful experience out of it? I'd have to say the latter. I mean, I think you could maybe at the very basic level, you could say a high school student would want to practice because, you know, you don't know what the dynamics are going to be like. But, but honestly, there's so many things that you can't create in a virtual set. Like the people, the sound, the space that you have, the, the clouds, you know, moving over the sunlight. Like, I think you really have to be out there and feel what it's like to be in a space in a crowd and then work that situation. I don't see how it could really be simulated virtually. And I think the thing with the, um, what I saw, I mean, I haven't played the, played these games, but they look like nature mostly. Yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. So that I thought. 
give you that much real like for protest i can get you know you want military people or police they simulate what a what an environment would be like right so they learn they train and simulate right. environments and i think sure there's maybe a little bit of value but you've got to get out in the real world it's ultimately a simulation and with photography every the i mean things are out of your control so that's what you have to be able to adapt to quickly so at a basic level i could see it but beyond that no go out like you know open your front door, walk outside, you know, see what it's, what's happening and then go practice. And with digital, like, why not? It's not like you're shooting film and then you have to go develop it. You can learn, you know, you can, you can get the feedback right, yeah. right away immediately. No, I think definitely, you know, the, the idea of getting out there, the sights, the smells, you can't recreate that as well, you know, in a virtual environment or if, if at all, really in, in many ways, uh, I think it's more just the situations, right? Like if, you know, like I don't have access to or, you know, the ability to capture the same type of situations you do, you know, in D.C., where you're at the heart heart of, you know, many major hotbed issues. You know, here it's like I'm, you know, much more limited in what I can do. And there may be the same case for someone in the middle of the country or different parts of the country. So that was the I kind of thinking like and I have seen other sort of photo simulation games that try to simulate different scenarios like there was one i saw a few years ago where it's like you were photographing skateboarders as they did tricks in a skate park or something like that um but no it's definitely not like your video games where you can you know create the perfect like i know all these games like red dead redemption and you know many of these games coming out control and whatnot you know they'll have the photo mode but that allows you to you know precisely move the camera where you want and choose the exact focal length you want so it's like that doesn't happen in a real world situation, you know, as, as cleanly as it does, you know, like in a protest or in a sort of kinetic environment. Um, you know, uh, fr from your perspective, Seth, you know, do you think there's any any from a you know, practice capability to uh, doing a documentary? You know, obviously it's a completely different skill set, um, but do you think there'd be any sort of, you know, again, simulated documentary creation capability or, or filmmaking capability, you know, like that would be something, you know, you see a lot of these tools, you know, as well with on the video side, like, for instance, you know, like in a game like Smash Brothers, if anybody's played that uh, from Nintendo, you know, you can like create video clips and actually has a rudimentary video editor in there. And you can actually like make little video editing um, things or you've seen maybe maybe you heard of Machinima where you can actually take the video game characters and make movies out of them. Do you think there's any validity to that? Like, do you think any of that translates to the video filmmaking real world? Well, I think this uh, teaches you photography in the same way Doc Hunt teaches you hunting like it doesn't. Uh, but it's. You know, that, the answer to your question, I think what makes documentaries so interesting and unpredictable is, uh, is the humanity of it. It's what people say about themselves and what they reveal in interviews. And if I was going to make a, um, say, like, planet Earth-style documentary, which is not something I do, maybe there's something there. But when you're looking at characters and humans and motivations, unless you had some incredibly advanced, like, AI interrogation engine, it's just, why even bother kind yeah. of thing. No, I, yeah, I think you need people moving around. I think you need, you know, activities. I, again, like I said, I thought, you know, if there was a, again, a situation that's happening in front of you and you got to, you know, choose the right place, you know, you're in a, a scrum of different photographers, you got to choose the right place to get the shot, you know, and then again, you go back to your editor in the game and you give them your shots and they sort of give you a critique. Um, how about you, there Travis? There's a Pokemon game. Yeah, Pokemon, Pokemon Snap. Game that, that was like exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like all that comes to mind. It's like, 
at least that it's stuff moving around in it. I guess, yeah, that's you know? that's true. There was a game at the old museum. Remember, well, it closed, but you know the museum, the Museum of News. They had this computer game, and it was pretty old school. Where you were like, "I'm your assignment," and there's been a, you know, a a kid is canoeing down the river, and you know the canoe capsized. You have to go take photos of the scene, and you go, and you can like shoot the camera, and there, all these different things happening. And I remember playing this when I was like wanting to be a photojournalist. I was probably, I, I don't know, maybe I was like in high school or something. And I remember shoot, playing the game, shooting it, and then you go back to the editor. The editor was like, you missed the, the news entirely. Like I was all photographing like the paramedics like waiting on the side and the action was happening elsewhere. So I suppose I learned something from that because um, it's traumatized me like my whole life. And I've never forgotten that you can't miss you know, like where the action is. So maybe there is some value in that. But now the museum is closed, so nobody else can go check out that game. But that was an original. I mean, that's probably 25 years old, that game. So wow. anyway, I'm going to go look on YouTube, see if I can find somebody like who recorded themselves playing it. I want to see what that yeah. game looked like. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, you know, in thinking about sort of the, the photo modes and whatnot, and even this, I was thinking All of right. you, Travis, because, you know, you do a lot of, you know, commercial work. You do, you know, portraiture and whatnot. That's a, a situation in a sort of environment where you well, can yeah, control I mean, as, everything. As a, as a tech person that loves technology and loves, uh, you know, everything related with it, I think you're all missing the mark on this. Uh, I think it uh, the potential of this is, uh, is ridiculously outstanding and uh, you're sort of not looking outside the box where uh, you can it's we're in the early stage of this if you looked five years ago the photorealism of what you could do was okay but now they're starting to look so realistic that i can actually take all right i know i'm going to iceland next month i know now that uh, the computer will know exactly when the sun rises when it sets the weather it can put that in i can actually go around and look wow if i'm at this angle i know the sun rises from here i know it lines. i can actually plan my trip and where i need to be to get the best shot even before i get there and see the sunrise it can teach me certain things like there's endless possibilities of using this in certain ways and and learning like doctors now they work on you know virtual reality and doing surgery and stuff like that they do all of that before harming a body or doing anything like that you can do that with students and teach them things that you'd never be able to do in a certain environment so beautifully and quickly. I can put them in Africa and say, all right, if a cheat is this here or this or that's there, if the different light is here, if this didn't, if you're on a tripod, if you're not on a tripod, try and handhold it. This is what it's going to be like. This is what it's not going to be like. There's, it's endless possibility, and it's only going to get more advanced. So I think it's really exciting. Uh, uh, my first reaction was, yeah, this is kind of silly, but when you really think about what it can become, it's amazing. Yeah, there was actually a program or a game made by Sony, I believe, or it was co-sponsored by Sony because in the game you actually were using Sony equipment. And I thought from a like just trying to try things out perspective, in the game you could choose all your different lenses that, you know, Sony offers. So you can mess around with, you know, practicing with different lenses, you know, some that you may not even have, you know, be able to afford yeah. or have access to. And you could try different focal lengths and zooms and all imagine, that stuff. Imagine saying being there and you're like, there's there's a bunch of new lenses and you're like, well, I don't know if I really want a 14 to, you know, 24 millimeter or if the 16 to 35. And you can actually just jump on and see exactly what it's going to look like and the, the, exactly the way it's going to feel and the kind of shots you're going to get. You'd be like, oh, no, you know what? That's not exactly what I was looking for. Like, this is what I'm looking for. The potential is really incredible. Yeah, I could see that with my new R5. I could, if I could try yep. out different lenses, you know, in a virtual environment. I would definitely do that. See if they're worth, you know, the money. Which brings me to my other point, uh, Evelyn. Have you chosen? Have you made the final decision yet? 
Sony or Canon? I have not made the final decision. Unfortunately, I only got to shoot the R5 basically twice, and I loved it. I really did. I loved it, yeah. but I haven't quite gotten the focus tracking. You, you might the want to. Uh, there's some is, there's some rumors about a new A9 that uh, might blow you away. And the so I have to um I have to send it back, and I also don't. I asked Canon. I don't have one of the. I only have the twenty four one hundred five f four, and I would really almost like never carry that lens in my kit for real life so until i can try one of the what do you call it? i'm not you know i'm not the techie on here the lenses that go with the mirrorless system those the new native ones that I'll, yeah that are designed for is um i before i make the decision i want to try one of those so that's what i i need to deal with canon and then i'll make my decision but the price point the a92 is a lot more expensive than the the canon body i don't know about the lenses i haven't compared the prices What's it's about a gram more, I think. The, I think they're the same. The A92, I thought was like four thousand something, and the What's R5 the was like thirty-eight ninety-nine or something. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's like fifteen so thousand Canadian dollars. <laughs> what? So that's fifteen thousand Canadian dollars. Yeah, it's a lot. So I've got to try the lens. What about you, Dave? What lens are you using on the R5? I'm just using 24 to 105 right now. You know, I don't plan on getting into the uh, actual kit stuff until I start doing more work. Um, you know, in that in that regard, right now it's just kind of you know using around the house and family stuff and vacations and blogs and stuff like that. You know, if I get back into working more full time freelance work, you know, doing events and stuff like that, I'll definitely start investing in the trifecta for sure. Um, so I'll get the 15 to 35, 24 to 70, and uh, 7200. That'll be definitely part of my kit that 7200 is pretty exciting i mean that, that they made it smaller lighter oh, and, yeah. uh, I'm excited. It, that, just, that's that's a really yeah, cool lens i just feel like i need a 28 24 70 or somewhere in that even if it was a 28 mm. whatever but in that range is yeah. my primary lens, and it yeah. needs to be 28 i just can't the f4 i can't imagine buying that lens and working with is that it, is it because so, you want the more shallow focus or you want the light uh, the more, sh I mean, I just feel you need to have a two eight yeah. lens for yeah. so many reasons. Yeah. More yeah. light and a shallow focus. Yeah. Well, Speed. I mean, if you don't mind a little bit of extra heft and, uh, a little bit extra money, you can always go with the F2 24 to 70. I'll give you an extra stop right oh, there. That's right. Is that really huge? That lens though? Is From that what I hear? Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of gargantuan. So yeah. definitely yeah. want to try that out yourself. I did try the Sony lens, and that was really nice. The whatever twenty four, uh, I don't yeah, know who it was said. Yeah, it's twenty four eight. Yeah, it was great. All right. Well, let's go and move on to our next topic. Uh, we want to talk about, you know, I, I have, of course, a, a documentary producer here. So I want to talk about documentaries. And one of the biggest documentaries that come out recently is the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. So, you know, in case you haven't seen this one, um, it's basically about social media and, you know, more, you know, sp you know it focuses on all aspects of social media and it's sort of the ways that companies use algorithms and different sort of tactics and techniques to not only kind of keep you, not only kind of get you on their platform to keep you there and to engage you. So you, you just psychologically, you don't even realize you're just keeping and staying on the platform. So highly recommend it. It's a, it's a pretty cool documentary and it shows off um, some pretty cool aspects. And, and it, you know, it doesn't tell you anything new if you've paid attention to social media and sort of, you know, what's been in the news with regard to what Facebook and all the other platforms are doing doing and sort of the way they manipulate people and algorithms and everything. But it, it does a great job in sort of putting it all together in one place. 
And from a documentary perspective and a technique and style perspective, and I'll throw it over to you, Seth, to kind of get your take on this. Uh, one thing that was interesting, you know, obviously it's interviews and B-roll and news clips and all that stuff. But one thing it does I thought was interesting was it, it doesn't, it doesn't create reenactments so much like because it, there's there it creates a fictional story or narrative arc that goes along with the documentary. So in when they're talking about certain aspects of oh it affects children and it's you know makes the family less connected, it's create it's created this f- fake family, you know, this fictional narrative that shows you kind of how those aspects are playing out. And I haven't seen that used as a narrative tool in documentary too much. Of course, I'm familiar with, you know, reenactment where you have people, actors reenacting something that really happened. But this is kind of the first time I've seen an artificial created scenario in a documentary. And I want to know from your perspective, Seth, you know, is that is that a tool that you would use or have you ever used that kind of tool in sort of telling a story in a documentary format? Well, I have to see this movie to, to fully, I think grasp what you're saying but we're always as documentary filmmakers we are always looking to kind of crack that that ever there problem which is how do you portray things you don't have footage of and there's a number of techniques each of which has their pros and their cons from a aesthetic perspective from a budgetary perspective from a time perspective from a anything perspective whether it's recreations or animations or what or something else like what you're talking about here, right? Um, and this is something I think we are constantly thinking about, especially now when uh, the COVID of it all is kind of forcing us to reevaluate uh, how we're doing things in order to be a little bit more remote, a little bit more uh, thrifty, perhaps a little bit safer. And so, a documentary that might have at one point uh, had like a full production reenactment, uh, you know, real high high production value, almost like, you know, cinematic reenactments, we might be looking for other techniques and other tactics. Um, And so I'm curious to see how they did this. I'm always looking for new ways to show things that don't exist in the world. And I think a good documentary without having actually seen this one, a good documentary um, make, you know, if whatever technique they use has to feel like it's the perfect one for this. It's, it has to feel like it kind of clicks into place. It can't feel like a compromise. And uh, so I'm super curious to see what they did. Yeah, no, it's interesting, you know, because they mentioned COVID in the documentary and the documentary is very relevant. It's, you know, of the time. So I, I'm curious as, you know, how they sort of shot these because there are scenes, you know, the majority of scenes take place within a house with a family of actors who are, you know, acting different parts and roles in a script. But there's also scenes that take place outside, you know, in amongst a group of people. So I'm curious if this was all shot prior to COVID being a thing yeah. or if they're shooting within the constraints of COVID. Um, by the way, you know, how, how has sort of COVID affected any sort of film production you're working on? Has it been kind of everything's on hold till we get things squared away or is it kind of you're working around it? Uh, I mean, nothing's really on hold, uh, you know. Class Action Park, our movie that's out now on HBO Max, we shot this before COVID hit. We actually ended up doing a couple pickup interviews after COVID, but the types of interviews we're doing, it's one person on a camera. We shot him outside at distance. It was yeah. super easy for us to do it because it's a talking head. It's not two people interacting. It's not a scene with characters. Uh, so we're, it's really easy for us to do that. Um, you know, just sort of cycle of how my projects are developing. It hasn't really, it's something we're constantly thinking of, but I haven't gotten to the point yet where we have to actually make adjustments. 
as we pick up a camera and as we shoot. And who knows? I mean, there's like these rules are being written in real time. Yeah. Nobody knows what's going to work. Nobody knows what adjustments are going to have to be made. If there's like an outbreak or something. Um, I think I'm sort of dreading is when I have to start traveling uh, right. for, for shoots. Uh, you know, that, you know, not just a matter of other people on camera, but myself, like getting to different locations and meet with people. So even if I'm doing an interview, that's just a one person talking head interview. If I have to get on a plane to go there, that's that kind of scares me a little bit. So we will see. We will see. Yeah. And then you, you you multiply that by production members, crew members, potential yeah. makeup, who, you, you know, think, all these well, other people. I, I will say the one. Yeah, and one of the things I'm thinking about as a filmmaker is is using more local crews for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas before I might have had like a single DP, for example, and a single sound guy who might have traveled with me if I'm doing a multi-city shoot. Uh, now I'd be much more inclined, I think, to kind of find local talent no matter where I'm going, so that mm-hmm. fewer people are kind of constantly in motion and constantly traveling. Yeah, no, absolutely, that's a, a great consideration. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one of the the core aspects that you know the the movie brings up is you know, and one of the t- key takeaways I took from the movie, and I'll definitely be how do I say, you know, acting on is children and social media, and you know their access to it, and you know I fully intend to as much as possible try to restrict access to social media from my children for as long as I can. Hopefully, at least not till high school, because I know by then it'll kind of be a lost cause, but. Um, you know, you you have children, Alex. You know, how are you sort of handling you know social media and their social media education uh, going forward? Poorly. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, yeah. especially when the first kind of part hit, um, like she couldn't see friends anymore. So it's like, here's a computer. <laughs> so have fun. Yeah. Um, and so that helped us. Like, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but it helped us a lot. But now it, we're kind of dealing. It's less about social media and more about YouTube at that age. Okay. Uh, so does YouTube count as social media? I don't know, but like, that's really what she's. So she's hooked on YouTube right now. It's really yeah. about controlling that. Uh, being back into virtual school helps a bit because she has less free time to, right. to actually get on the YouTube. But like even right now, like I had her put her headset on for her online class, and you know. Like we have to kind of go watch and make sure she's not opening another tab and watching YouTube while in class. <laughs> right. uh, that, that's why usually we kind of ban the headsets while she's in class so we can actually listen and see like if there's any sound or whatever. Um, but like, the discussion is, is always ongoing. Like I'm also, uh, like my wife was reminding me, like we're also bad examples of this because like uh, it goes in, in waves, but sometimes, you know, we're all at the dinner table and we're all on our phones. Um, and sometimes we kind of remind ourselves, oh, let's not do this. And that's for a few weeks, we kind of leave the phone away and then we kind of get back into old habits. So it's really like an addiction. So like when we're as adults having such a hard time dealing with it, how like are we supposed to kind of guide a child uh, in the same fashion? So, I mean, as a photographer, I gave my old camera, like an old, my first DSLR, it's like an old Rebel XTI. I gave that to my kid and she makes photos with it. So I created her own Instagram account out of it. But like, I was just for fun. I, I was, like, she was three years old back in the day. So I was controlling it completely. But now it's, how do I transfer this account to her in a safe fashion? But she's not hooked on Instagram as she is on YouTube. So, but like, yeah, I honestly, like it's, we're all 
I don't know about we are all, but like it's it's a big learning curve as to how to to deal with with kids on this. And um, you know, like I think that the social dilemma movie kind of reminds you that like all these platforms are created to hook you on it. So like once your child is hooked on it, like is it re- how much is how much can you discipline a child? that is kind of getting hooked on something that's designed to hook that person up, right? Like how much of, how much of reasoning can you do as it's, it's, it's a mess, honestly. Like, so I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not an easy issue to contend with. And, you know, as much as I say, I want to keep them, um, how do I say away from that type of stuff? I don't know if I'll have really that much control, really. You know, I mean, they're just going to take a phone that maybe they find or, you know, they can get a cheap one or something and who knows what they'll be doing with it, right? But, yeah. you know, you got you to try, right? Uh, let me throw it over to you, Travis. You know, you obviously advocate for social media use and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great benefits to it from a business perspective. But do you, do you ever feel perhaps, um, you know, it's too invasive or, you know, it's it perhaps, you know, it's, being misused or mismanaged, especially even on benign platforms like Instagram? I'm sorry, Dave. I was checking my social media feed. What was that? Well, you know what's funny is as I was watching the movie, (laughs) I was actually, uh, I had in a corner on my screen on my phone and I was like going on Reddit and other things looking at my Facebook while watching the movie. So I'm addicted as well. No, it's funny. I'll I'll be honest with you. You know, it's like, you're absolutely right. I I make a lot of my business. I do a lot of business through social media. I made my career and money off of social media, off of social media branding after creating uh, these type of uh, brands. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll take an influencer or a celebrity and I'll shoot their month's worth of, uh, you know, post in a couple of days and uh and suddenly you know everyone's looking at this false reality of what they think is is real and stuff like that i think social media is probably the worst thing that come out of uh all of this in uh, ever i i think it's the cause of most of our problems right now uh i think it's the cause you know if you look at social media which i wrap, wrap into reality tv as well and if we didn't have reality tv we probably wouldn't have a lot of the issues that we have today <laughs> these false realities these uh you know these shows like you know my sweet 16 and it's just they're they're, they're just god awful representations of everything that we're not in these false realities and i think that we are so trained on you know i can't tell you how many times that i'll sit there and and i'll i'll you know i all right i have to put up a business post on my social media my instagram and then suddenly i found myself an hour later that i've been scrolling through facebook for an hour wasted an hour of my time doing absolutely god nothing and uh and then you you tie in all the kind of false narratives and and tribalism and separate separation of thoughts and free thinking that are you know people are taking advantage of social media and then people kind of pushing their ideas and and then like defriending and stuff like that it's 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 just this endless vicious circle of we have to retrain ourselves and and get rid of this because in the days where you know we were kids and go out and play because there was no social media and and interact with people or read a book or a comic book or just go out and see a movie or do something that uh, now everybody is just like this i mean I, i how how many times do we have a family dinner and every single one of us at the dinner table are like this at certain points or at a restaurant? That's it's that's all you see nowadays is people on their phone, you know, walking down the street like this. I mean, it's like it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, and I'm so guilty of it, which is the worst part. And I know how terrible it is. <laughs> Travis, I want to have a family dinner with you. You're you're invited over whenever you want. Just come to the dinner table. Do I have um, to check my phone? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. You can have it out. Do whatever you want. 
You're all invited for dinner, by the way. Just well, come on over. I would love to. Book a flight to South Korea. To. I would I would nothing more than travel and, and do that. <laughs> so what brought this story up to my attention was the fact that Facebook actually responded to it. You know, they saw a lot of issues with the documentary and sort of the way it portrayed certain aspects of, you know, social media and how it uses data. And I want to touch on the points that bring up, but I want to throw it back over to you, Seth. You know, have you ever had anyone sort of criticize your films or anything you've done where perhaps they said, oh, you misrepresenting Class Action Park or it wasn't that bad or whatever or any anything you've done. Have you ever had to deal or with any kind of critics? Much worse. <laughs> you know, or yeah, critics in general. Uh, so, I, I mean, critics and social media are, are two very different things. Uh, I mean, the movie was popular, seen by a lot of people, so there's all sorts of takes. Some people like the movie, some people don't. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people... Um, wanting to criticize it online, I've got I've got thick skin about it, and I, I certainly don't take it personally. I think the the issues you guys are talking about are when things get very, very personal with people. Um, I mean, social media is designed as a as a drug. It's designed as as something that creates a, a steady and addictive drip of chemicals. It's designed with the purpose optimized to keep you staring at your screen long. It, it comes from a very dark place. Um, and it comes from a place that uh, its own, you know, it's a beast that wants to feed itself. And it doesn't really care about any of its repercussions. Um, at the same time, though, I think it's impossible to say, uh, social media should be gone. Let's stop using it, people, because this is our, our world's been built around it. It's like telling somebody who lives in the suburbs, cars are bad, never drive a car again. It's like, okay, how are you going to get to work? Or smartphones are bad, don't use a smartphone. How are you going to apply to job interviews? You know, we, we built our world around these things that, that hurt us. And I think it's, it's important for people to um, understand, you know, you don't want to be the old guy ranting on about how rock and roll is destroying children, uh, you know, while, while kind of recognizing the, the, the problems with these things. And I think it's important for people to, um, to understand these things, understand how they can best use them. I don't think social media is innately evil. I think uh, it's become a, a beast that, uh, you know, must, you know, that must be fed that becomes evil. And I think, uh, you know, but we still have some level of free will, I hope. And I think, uh, that hopefully people can find other things to you know, can can find a way out of this. It sucks though because uh, you know these things have become so big and, um, and you know these companies need to grow. Uh, they are beasts and need to be fed. They can't accept shrinking user engagement just because society is being burned down. Sadly, that's not really an option for them. Um, it's also really hard to regulate technology. It's really hard to and and regulating it oftentimes results in more problems, uh, especially from like a freedom of speech perspective. It becomes a really, really, really tricky thing that I'm not sure I have the right answer to. I'm not sure anybody does. And I'm sure if we create an answer, these beasts would uh, be nimble enough to circumvent and, and kind of find another way around them. So what do you do, guys? What do you do? I think you, what you bring up is, is really kind of the key aspect is that you say you say we have free will to decide, you know, and stuff like that. And that free will basically is either to turn it off, regulate it, or do something about it. Or, or And I think what I, I haven't seen the movie, and I know, Dave, you have, and I know part of it is probably talking about the unconscious level of how we've been manipulated and had, you know, from like how every single thing was designed to do something that you're not even conscious of, you know, from the like button to everything like that. So when you say free will, we're not actually 
really no, knowing how I, much. I, I, no, I understand I, what I, you're I, saying, but I'm, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, and I agree with it. And that's why I'm kind of adding on to it to the fact, that, like, where when you say where do we go from here? It's like that's a that's the valid question. Is like, do we regulate this? Do we say that you know, part of this cannot happen? Do we do we say all right, you can't use it? This like you want to like I'm the first person to say like you know the people that come out against violent video games. Like you know what I played them all my life and i'm not yeah. one person that i, I and you're i'm not, totally you're not, i think I, I think i'm okay i'm not look yeah exactly not, you know yeah, comic books are absolutely terrible for kids comic books and now that you know yeah. what drives hollywood and tv shows is like machines were illegal until the 1970s because they're viewed as morally destructive but but i mean social media i think actually is morally destructive <laughs> or, or you know corrupting to us is sort of the difference um, but yeah. it's tough because, like, okay, let's just say, like, oh, we start regulating those things. Who do you think will be writing those bills? Where's the lobbying money coming from? Yeah, you know, like, like what? It, it, yeah, like, like these 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 systems with entrenched power structures have a way of perpetuating themselves and using and weaponizing attempts to curb them. Um, it is really tricky. It is really tricky. You're you're dealing with with. I mean, I mean, I, I happen to know a fair about how these these products are kind of designed and tested. I was at technology journals for years, and I sort of understand just the massive, massive amounts of testing and optimization that goes into button placement and size and colors and everything. So it becomes like a slot machine where you just can't look away. I get that. <laughs> I get that. And it's so dark, touched on that exact really, issue really in the movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. They yeah. call it a slot machine? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, but it's it, they're just taking the same principles as, as video game design. I mean, they're like, Video games are designed to be addictive. It's sort of the a feature, not a bug. You know, it's considered a good game if you sit there for twenty hours, you know, not bathing or eating. No, uh, I, and I, they're just taking. It's about it's about trans it's about transparency. You know, it's like you know, yeah. and that you bring that to like you know news programs now. A lot of news programs are just editorialized thought pieces. That, you know, and and that should come with a disclaimer, like a like yeah. a movie rating. You know what? I think this I think we're over. Too much credit if you think that like i mean I'm, I'm a big fan of like put it all on the table and let people decide but i i mean i think the past couple of years have kind of shown us that like the the more people know the more you know people might know they're in a cult but they defend the cult at the end of the day it's, there's a level of um of uh you know, people are very unwilling to admit that something that they've been led to believe is true or right is not true or right i have a feeling seth you and i could go back and forth on this with a lot of fun banter back and forth but i'm sure <laughs> into some other things <laughs> yeah yeah you know i mean again we were all like they mentioned in the documentary you can't put the genie back in the bottle right even if you killed facebook and instagram and whatever and twitter and pinterest and all these other platforms another one would rise up you know and maybe it'd be worse or more insidious you know i think the the key is that you keep these keep the platforms accountable to the, what they're doing and their actions, you know, keep on having them come to Congress and talk to, you know, con congressional people, keep on putting sort of the negativity in the light. And, you know, even even this sort of uh, documentary, which, again, is is being seen as sort of you know, critically sort of um, a bit hyperbolic, a bit sort of extravagant and, and whatnot, a bit alarmist in the way it presents information. Even this, though, does make those issues more clear and then I was thinking about, again, our, our own use of social media, and I think it's perfectly healthy. Like, you know, Evelyn, I saw you, you posted some photos from your wedding. Uh, how long did they go from taken to put online? Like, probably, what, the next day, right, I'm guessing? Or that same day? The beautiful I, photos, by the way. I completely lost. Thank you. Well, I didn't. I, you were totally broken up. I All I heard was same day, next day. Uh, your wedding. <laughs> your wedding is on Instagram, Are I noticed. Are you there? Shoot. Oh, yeah. yes. 
I think I put some up the next day because we failed. We tried to Zoom it. So there you go. Oh, okay. And the Zoom didn't work and everybody was logged on. And so I quickly sent out some photos the next day, though. Why well, are you feeding a... the machine, Evelyn? Why are you feeding the algorithm? Uh, How dare you? It's scanning your faces. This machine is going to get you are. To wrap it all back into even to the, the, the virtual reality of the, the photos and taking those photos, we're getting closer and closer you know, to all these companies heavily investing in virtual reality, heavily rely, uh, investing into AI where, and social media. So you're going to get the points where people are going to put on visors, live in these worlds, you know, and, and be totally – there's going to be a lot of people that just suddenly – like I know how many people that spend – hours and hours playing games now when you suddenly take a real world that you want to be in that caters to you that the ai is catered to you that make you feel good and you fork and design that way there's going to be a lot of uh, people putting on these uh, virtual realities and wanting to spend their lives in those in those places not not i think people like us that uh, love to get out and shoot but the uh the way the world is i think that's going to be a scary thing that we need to think about you know, as we're all so weird. I spent so much of like the '80s and '90s uh, dreaming of sort of these futuristic technologies. Now they're here. It's like this stuff, evil man. What have we done? <laughs> you know, seriously, it's like when you're a kid, you're like, "Oh, it's going to be so cool in video games or like super was... realistic, anything like that." I wanted and... much space. I wanted my own robot. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. Oh, flying car. You know, I worked at Popular yeah. Mechanics for years, and it's just like you know, like. Like comic book level futurism, a lot of the old stuff that we cover, like flying cars and whatnot. Um, but then you look at like what this stuff is actually designed to do, and I mean, I've become so cynical about this. I, I think <laughs> that's one of the, the true casualties of this all is 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 just it's everything. It's everything has become so cynical. Like we, it's it's so hard for us to imagine anything cool coming around that isn't just used for uh, terribly destructive and incredibly cynical purposes. It's all just there to sell us uh, ads for some sort of Ad, and, and hair, it, it, hair it becomes growth a product. Loop where just the ads are just going to be selling more ads. You know, it's like I, it's like it goes back to like when you're watching television and there's nothing but ads for more TV shows, and it's like yeah. they're just selling themselves. It's this beast. It's great. Yeah, people can't wait for that new iWatch or the new iPhone or the new this or the other people like like yeah. You know, you know, as we're all sort of visual information purveyors, you know, we all, you know, in one way or another, push out information and try to present the truth and the kind of products and the content we create. One of the um, conceits of the documentary that was brought up was Facebook or social media's overall drive to use misinformation as a way to, you know, they allow mis misinformation, you know, like COVID falsities or you know flat earth theory or all these other like misinformation campaigns to fester on their platform why because it draws eyeballs and eyeballs are you know an ability to sell to and sell ads to and their response to this you know concept is that essentially that the idea that we allow misinformation to fester on our platform or that we somehow benefit from the content is wrong you know do you agree with that sort of dialogue that facebook is is sort of responding to with or do you think that they advocate for or at least benignly allow misinformation to fester and how do we combat they that yeah they absolutely allow it to fester and uh it's 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 two things one is that it, it clearly benefits them because the the darkest patterns the most you know feedback loopy engaging patterns are the most provocative and like you know anger anger is an emotion that, that drives engagement and outrage is an emotion that drives engagement and um, so, you know, when conspiracy theories that are designed to promote outrage as a form of engagement, it absolutely 
greatly benefits them. But they're also just, excuse my French here, a little chicken shit. You know, they're afraid <laughs> to call these people out because these these people sort of who, who benefit from this have very sophisticated mechanisms for screaming the word censorship at you if you try to do anything to kind of rein them in. And so they'd much rather just have it, uh, you know, fester on their system than upset these people to the point, you know, upset these people who they rely on for a lot of their revenue. Any other thoughts? Anybody? I mean, I think Seth's covered it pretty good on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Said more things than I'm probably allowed to say, so I'm just, yeah. yeah. Is there a lot of misinformation campaigns or, you know, do, do you all in Canada have to deal with the same type of sort of various conspiracy theories that are more prevalent in the United States? Do those permeate their way up to Canada? And how do you how do you combat those, you know, from the kind of government perspective, if you can say anything about that? I, yeah, I mean, it definitely permeates. Um, like a lot, there's a lot of memes going about like, oh, Canada living the apartment living above above the meth lab or something. But like, it's 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 not exa- like the fumes are going through. Like, it's it's um, we're not isolated from it. Um, it. It's it's coming over. But like, this is this gets into political territories so where really kind of right, right. Let's let's not go there. If that I don't want to bring you down there. Although yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you do you anticipate an influx of immigrants from the I from mean, America? You know, <laughs> like we'll see November fourth, or maybe by the January twenty. <laughs> send, 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 just send us your best and brightest. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, are there any other thoughts on this topic before we move on? All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump to our last topic this evening. Um, or morning, depending on where you're at. Evening for me, morning for all of you. Uh, but I did want to uh, talk about um, blanking here. Okay, there was a story I saw on Petapixel, basically about this guy in Dubai who wrote about how you know he was able to go into this area with his professional DSLR and shoot some nice photographs. And the area where we shot at was a, some sort of private business or whatever, you know, like a, a large open area, you know, shot some fireworks or whatever. And, you know, it was, it was like picked up by the company and, you know, he, he loved it. And then he comes back a year later and there's a security guard saying, hey, no, no professional cameras, no tripods. Get that out of here. You can't bring that here. But, you know, again, you got, you know, people with their smartphones and whatever, you know, taking pictures all over the place. So it kind of got me thinking about my own experiences you know, where I've been denied access or had any sort of trouble or, you know, people looked at the fact that I had a, a professional DSLR camera and somehow either judged me for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, you know, either denied me access or gained me access. So I want to kind of get those questions out to you. Has has your DSLR, has your professional camera gear ever been a hindrance or a help to getting access to or shooting anything? I'll throw that out uh, to the group so anyone can chime in on this. I think first and foremost, the, the ridiculousness of it is that uh, it's the person that makes the gear professional. Uh, you know, I, I, there's five million amateurs with amazing cameras that don't know how to use them. Um, and, uh, and and as technology kind of improves, uh, you find these smaller and smaller cameras that have, you know, amazing megapixels and zoom lenses and a point and shoot and stuff like that that can take just as good things as, you know, and, and will blow away, you know, cameras that were, you know, designed, you know, that were professional cameras that were out, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, so it, it's kind of silly. Uh, I, I know they're trying to control uh 
their own image and, and what gets fed out and what they think is a professional image and an amateur image. But uh, there's no way to really discern that just by looking at the gear, what, what's going to happen with uh, that image. And I think at the core, it's it's about um, controlling profit making photography, quote unquote. Um, but it's also it ties into the social media discussion we had before. It's it's where um, society is really trailing behind technology in that sense into adapting our like laws or, or habits or whatever to it. So like it's still just like your, your professional looking DSLR is still the sign of like the outward sign of professional photography which like we know it isn't but like that's still how it's perceived so your security guard coming up to you on a private property seeing your bigger looking camera just assumes hey, you're showing up to on a private like that's what i read in the article there like mm -hmm. it, it, it's a private location with a tripod and a big thing like you know i did some assignments like this where i wanted to get like uh, skyline views of ottawa where i kind of climbed up to the top of a hotel this restaurant there you know i had to call in ahead and arrange for like not a permit but like for them to know i was going to come up and do things and like authorizations like i'm having mixed feelings on this one it's like yeah okay democratizations of um everybody needs to have access or whatever do what they want but at the same time like just you know you're, you're amateur you're going to bring your stuff sure maybe just like phone ahead say like listen it's not for profit whatever so i i don't know like it's 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 a weird one so it's, again as a society we we're still adapting to it but like i'm having a hard time having a lot of sympathy for that guy there because it's just it happens like i had my tripod kicked on the sidewalk by a passing old woman who wasn't happy for me being there just randomly kicked um i don't know like yeah, I, I I get it. I, I just don't think it's it's a big deal per se. Like it, it's it's been like this for a long time. I'm I'd be curious to see how things were back in film photography days because I skipped that, so I'm not that old school. But like, how was it back then? Like with film cameras, like was access the same thing? But there was no social media going along with it, so there's a different dynamic as well. So that's. Yeah, no, I, I've used the the pro gear to get myself into various conventions and other sort of, you know, media events. I just say I'm media and I show the camera equipment. And they're like, oh, well, you must be, you know, again, <laughs> this is about probably 10 years ago. So right. I'd say camera gear it was, was less prevalent, you know, at least the professional prima gear. Not, you know, I've used film, but I never used film in that regard. But, you know, again, having the large size body with the lens kit and everything makes you look professional, even if you don't have a press pass. You know, you just kind of come off and exude that sort of professionalism. And, you know, again, I used it to get into a convention. Um, but I've have also experiences where, yeah, if you're going to like a concert, they don't want you to bring their, you know, your long zoom lens and your pro gear because, you know, you could be trying to sell the pictures or whatever, you know. So uh, they want to keep that limited. Uh, how about I you? Oh, go ahead, no, Evelyn. Sorry. No, and it's sort of a different way going on in, in protests in D.C. Now you see all these, um, I would call them probably activist journalists mm -hmm. coming out. They've got the DSLRs and they've got the pro gear, but then they're wearing press badges. Like they don't have press passes. They're not working for the mainstream media. So they've got like a flak jacket with a big press Velcro mm -hmm. thing on. They've got a helmet on press everything is labeled press 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 and i don't see any of the real like mainstream publication like i'm not wearing anything that's labeled press i don't really want to stand out as press i think i look like a journalist because of all the reasons we've said i've got my cameras i've got my press pass i'm just trying to like blend in and do my job and 
be identified as press. I always wear a press pass, but you see this other way of people wanting to legitimize themselves or maybe not get arrested or, or they also consider themselves to be press, but they're not really, um, in, they're not, I, I don't know who they're shooting for. So I see that going on, and that's a really interesting phenomenon. But I do see those photographers tending to be more involved with the groups that they're photographing rather than being legitimate press on the outside. So it's sort of ironic. Um, and then, for example, like the other day, this really ticked me off. I was down at Black Lives Matter Plaza taking a portrait of two Finnish colleagues because they needed a picture of themselves working as journalists for their newspaper and I had my big camera there. Now, thousands of people come down with their smartphones and act like tourists and take pictures in front of Black, Live, Black Lives Matter Plaza for whatever reason and you may think that's appropriate, inappropriate or, you know, and we literally a concerned citizen came up to us and was like, what are you doing here? Why are you taking photos? And I was about, my head was about to explode um, because Maybe this is going a little bit off topic, but it's like because I had legitimate cameras and I was seen to be doing something that was perhaps profiting off of Black Lives Matter or looked like it wasn't a fashion shoot. I mean, it was like it didn't look anything like that. But the, the perception and I think that's what we're talking about here is perception was that somehow I wasn't treating the space with the respect that it deserved. Whereas the people that I was photographing have been covering this and like being out there and caring and making this a huge part of their lives for months and months and months and myself included. But we were then perceived as being like vultures or taking advantage of the situation. And also, hello, I mean, don't, don't you have any expectation of privacy? We're also out in public. So here I am in my press gear and it's like, who are you to come ask me what am I doing? What I'm doing? Mind your own business. I'm in a public space. And what are you concerned about? Like, what is the concern? And I couldn't really, I was so flustered and we were all like, what? That I wanted to say to this person, what, what's the concern? What's the issue with taking photos? And I think that leads to, again, all the reasons with the access to being a professional photojournalist, taking your gear, or you just having a smartphone. Like, what people think you're up to, like taking your tripod to go up on the hilltop to get your overview shot. Like why, what are all the, so they're all again, back to perception of like what you can get into, what you can't, are you, are you investigating something? Are you trying to uncover something? So it's all really fascinating. It just seems, uh, you know, ineffective. You know, just like, you know, the now that we have well, to take off our sh our shoes at uh, the airport, they, they've shown one shoe bomber and you're t everybody's taken off shoes for years. Like, that's not going to stop people from doing things. A good journalist is going to know how to get the shot. Like, if I know the stadium's not going to let me in with my, my professional DSLR sure. and, and three lenses, I'm going to bring a, a little point and shoot that I know can still get me the same shot. And I can, I'm a professional and I know how to do it. You're not stopping us. You're just, you're just being silly. And you, it, I think it's just a control yeah. thing and it's, and it's a false sense of control and it's just, and especially when technology gets better and better and better, those DSLRs are not going to make the difference of us getting a professional shot or not. We know how to do it on other, uh, uh, you know, forms and other ways. And it's, sure. just, it's, it's just kind of silly at this point. Yeah. And there's a lot of suspicion also, I think, that goes along with all of this conversation that's concerning too, you know, like yeah. whatever yeah. people's attitudes. Yeah. Yeah, that's my concern is like, you know, again, this, this story takes place in Dubai, which has different rules and regs and whatnot. But it's a control. It's more about control. Yeah. And, and I'm, my fear is that, you know, it might permeate into more 
more free societies or, you know, the U.S. or Canada or something like that, where, you know, again, if we're seeing this backlash towards the press just trying to do their jobs by concerned citizens, you know, how does, mm-hmm. when does that permeate to that concerned citizens are now in elected officials and now they're, you know, putting forth rules and different laws to try and prevent, you know, that sort of thing. But then again, now you're you're fighting against your own First Amendment, right? So perhaps there won't ever be, and perhaps we're overblown the the concern. But again, I just wanted to kind of address that theoretical potential possibility where again they're seeing, oh, you're you know, we're, we're you're seeing it right now, Evelyn. You know, like you said, and, and many of our our you know our comrades and or you know whatever are seeing that as well in different parts of the you know the states and whatnot are, are seeing that same issue when they cover protests. So. It's just a misinformation thing per- propagated on social media. Callback. Um, you know, Seth, have you ever had any issues when you know you've been out doing any sort of filming or any sort of interviews or anything like that, where anybody's ever giving you a hard time? I mean, I don't know if you're using more production level cinema cameras and like lights and crew and that. Have you ever you know, had any issues with permits or at least strangers coming up and trying to get in your film set? I'm pretty good at talking my way out of such scenarios. Uh, you know, <laughs> even if like I'm doing a, a documentary, it's like primarily kind of interviews. Um, we're still doing some B-roll shooting, maybe some slightly illicit drone photography, things like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, you're talking to a guy who who first decided he wanted to be a journalist when he was 13 and realized he'd get free movie passes. So I understand all about the power of the press pass and the yeah. power of the the camera around your neck to kind of open doors or close doors and how to selectively use or or make those signals disappear so nice nice yeah that is a power um all right well i think that's going to end this week's show before we sign off of course want to give everybody a chance to pitch what they want to pitch uh we'll throw it over to you first alex uh where can people find out about more in you you and your work uh instagram it's, which is also Facebook. Uh, um, <laughs> How dare yeah, you? Instagram is well. Uh, yeah, Instagram is the best way. Um, Twitter as well. So it, it, they're both the same um, handles. Uh, my last name Tetro T E T R E A U L T A J at well, not at but uh, yeah that's yeah. awesome awesome everything going okay in the family I saw your daughter come in this the video yeah yeah no She's, emergencies uh, right. Uh, class break and she when she sees where uh, both me and my wife are on conference calls she likes to get in there nice like, you got the mm-hmm. hug man and that's a beautiful yeah. thing on any day so yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah i have to lock the door to my office make sure none of my kids uh, jump in here <laughs> creating viral moments and whatnot uh seth what would you like to throw out there where can people find out more about you and your work yeah, Class Action Park, the movie, is on HBO Max right now, so check that out. And, uh, you know, you can find us on social at Class Action Park on all of those amazing, <laughs> amazing social media networks. Indeed. Awesome. I can feel my addiction back to social media rising with each yeah. one of these handles. Wait till oh, I get trip, to my trip, plug trip at the end for Around the Lens. Going, man. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Uh, Evelyn, anything going on in your world you want us to know about? I am taking my first uh plane covid plane flight i'm going to arizona um i'm going to be doing some election talking to voters and going to the border so i'll be posting on instagram you can follow me at evelyn picks i'll be in uh, phoenix and down at the border next week yeah you know i'm curious because you know you said you're covering the election and stuff like that um did you probably not in your 
area, but like the the debates. Did you have any plans to cover any of the debates? Um, okay, so I lost the whole beginning, but I heard debates. So I did not cover. I covered um, the Democratic presidential debate in South Carolina when we had like 10 candidates. Um, but right. now because of COVID, no, I don't know how the networks, they probably have like a couple pool photographers in there. Right. And um, that's about it. So no, no debate coverage. Okay. Yeah. But I just got back to DC cause I was out of town and I think there's a lot going on here outside of Walter Reed and we've right. got a COVID memorial. I missed out a lot of uh, newsy stuff this weekend. So I got to jump back in before I go to Arizona. Okay, great. Uh, Travis, anything from you? I'm going to abstain from all social media promos and just say go out and vote. That's it. Vote. There you go. That's it. Smart. Vote. Actually, <laughs> I just voted myself, and my uh, absentee nice. ballot has uh, been mail. So, so yeah, I agree. Voting is Good. a thing Good. we should all do, 100%. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to be a complete hypocrite and tell you all to go to aroundthelens.com because you can find links to all of our social media platforms there. We've got a YouTube channel and an Instagram channel and a Twitter page and a Facebook page. So we got a Patreon. So if you want to throw us a bone and give us a few bucks and get our stuff early, you can go on there as well. So a lot of options there. Subscribe to everything. Like, comment, subscribe, feed the algorithm uh, because that's how uh, we get the word out there about what we're doing. So, But if you're under 18... Try not to do that. There we go. <laughs> There's my advocacy for the, the moment. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, Seth and Alex. Truly appreciate you guys taking time out to come on here. I, I, you're always welcome back. I love hearing from you as well. Uh, Evelyn, Travis, thank you all again for coming back. We missed you. So don't ever go away. Just come on all, every week, all the time. Just make it happen. Especially both day. of us at the same time. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but we know we made that work. We had a great episode last week uh, with uh, our guests, so go check that oh, out good. if you haven't already. Um, all right. Well, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 245. Uh, thank you all for paying attention to everything we're doing here. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, like I said, go on any of our social media platforms to do so. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Again, I'm David J. Murphy for Evelyn Hochstein and Travis Keyes, and Seth Porges, and Alex Tetrial. Uh, we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com. <laughs>